The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from us three folks at O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. 40 fine breakfast tea bags. And Minty Booth. To only be enjoyed in a well-ventilated room. And we are chatting about our absolute favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! If you're listening to this on release day, that being the 28th of February in the year of our Lord, 222, then it is the very last chance you have to enter our 12-game Steam Bundle giveaway competition. First of all, thank you to everyone who has entered and shared our articles. Secondly, if you haven't, do it. All you need to do is go to our website, o3c.games, share one of our articles on Twitter, tag a friend, tag us at O3C Games, use the hashtag O3C Bundle, make sure you follow us, get your friend to follow us, and you could win 11 brilliant games that we have handpicked for you on Steam. And you get to pick the final game in your bundle from our three favourite video games of all time, Half-Life 2, Res Infinite, and Tales of Symphonia. Read, share, game. Also want to issue a reminder that you can keep up to date with my playthrough of The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks, the little touchscreen Zelda game that almost could. <laughs> I've been a guest on fellow HyperX Podcast Network podcast Chat of the Wild, the fantastic Zelda-centric podcast for their latest season where we are playing through Spirit Tracks a dungeon or so at a time. And it's been an absolute hoot, or should I say an absolute toot toot, because <laughs> hey. there's, there's a train. <laughs> That's great. It's been an absolute treat. And uh, Jeremy, Brian and BC are fantastic chaps uh, to chat with. So if you want to hear how we're getting on with revisiting the handheld classic, it's sort of a classic, isn't it? Then do subscribe to Chat of the Wild on your podcast platform of choice. Coming soon from HyperX. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. Hear audio cues with pinpoint precision thanks to the dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X Spatial Audio. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The Cloud Alpha Wireless. Available soon at HyperX.com, HP.com, Amazon, Best Buy, Micro Center, and more fine retailers. So... We're gathered here today. We're halfway through. This is halfway through our amendments. We said that we would do 20 amendments, and uh, and this is the 10th. So, maths being maths, halfway there. How are we feeling? It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is this is really, really difficult. So many good games. That, that's the thing. It's, it's not that the games we're trying to put in are not worthy of being there, but it's, you know, we, we've kind of... Um, put the games that were in our hundred on a sort of pedestal mm. and even the ones that were at the tail ends that were were not as strong obviously as the ones that, that are in the upper half you do feel bad saying i'm, I'm getting rid of it yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's really hard to justify each one so that there's been a lot of soul searching in putting this together and i hope people appreciate the the actual <laughs> sweat and tears that have gone into this <laughs> i think by their nature like the games at the lower end of our lists were probably the games that were probably the least objectively good games but the yeah. ones that we kept in our list because they meant something to us personally yeah and therefore like they're the hardest ones to reason getting rid of it feels very um very cutthroat and i i don't like it <laughs> but i have to go along with it exactly if, if i set the rules <laughs> i've got to abide by them exactly in unrelated news there is a work event inside with 400 people uh, bring your own booze again we're, we're always so topical <laughs> satire mate like a fistful of lentils Got our fingers on the pulse. <laughs> Before we chat about our amendments, though, we're going to talk about what we've been playing this week and let us start, as we usually do, with Minty Booth. Minty, what have you been playing in the last week and a bit? Okay, so um, I have actually been on holiday this week. Ooh. Yeah, just a nice little break. Um, we don't go in for sort of big, bombastic holidays where we go sightseeing or, you know, fucking... Alton Towers or whatever, although <laughs> I'm planting that seed because I've never been and I really want to go. It's really fun. I've not been in the house much at all this week. I've been on a stag do mm. and also this little holiday. 
So, I played a little bit of Nino Kuni. Ah. I finally gotten past all of the terrible shit that happens. As as I mentioned, uh, my mother died. I beat a dog to death. <laughs> I'm now starting to help people. I'm scooping off the the nice emotional foam from the uh, from the brimming pint of people's hearts. <laughs> That's the genre. <laughs> Giving it to people who might find their glass half empty. Oh, minty! That's just too good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, I think I've, I've I've beaten a couple of bosses now. I imagine for games such as this, where the unique element of of the gameplay is outside of combat, I feel like I should be uh, I should um, I should be focusing more on that more than um, the actual fighting itself. But I don't know. I think I don't think I'm getting as I don't think I'm playing the fights as as gainfully as I, as I could be because I'm, I'm fighting with all of my little monsters and they're all having a great time. When it comes to the bosses though, it's just me in my little, in my little stick running around casting fireballs from a distance. Like it takes <laughs> about 25 minutes, but just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. It seems like the only way that I can actually, um, I can actually beat them with any consistency, which might be because I've skipped a tutorial here and there because I don't <laughs> like Mr. Drippy. Oh, I, oh, do you know what? I do not, I'm afraid. If you had to either have <laughs> Mr. Drippy as your companion in real life uh, or a Nopon from Xenoblade, uh, what would you have to do? Drippy. 100%. I think, yeah, it would have to be Drippy because he's got... A full vocabulary? He's, he's more engaging than a Nopon. He's, he's u- more useful... He's just really rude. And I can't it, abide rudeness. My mum's been dead for three <laughs> days, and you're here telling me to shake the dust off your shoulder, boy. In Scotland? <laughs> I just, I just... <laughs> what does he call him? Crybaby bunting or something like yeah. that? Yeah. I'm processing grief. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I have a dad. I live in my house alone. My toys just come to life because I cried on it, and now it's starting to tell me off for having emotions. Fuck you, Mister Drippy. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got to. I've, 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 I've gone through that. I've beaten the first um, sort of area. I'm now in the sandy place, and I've got a second party member. Ah, yes. Which I think is going to open up a lot more enjoyable uh, combat scenarios for me. It shall. But I tell you what. As we've been uh, as we've been going places on our little break, um, we we went we went over to Chepstow, had a little wander around Tintin Abbey, and went up to the Giant's Cave and that sort of thing. Open world gaming has ruined the open world for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. As we were walking along the ridge, getting trying to get to trying to get to this uh, this this place of historical interest and such as that. All, all the while, I was like looking at, I was finding little like outcrops of a of, of, a, of an interesting plant or something, or seeing where a, a tree had blown over uh, thanks to Storm Eunice. I think in Xenoblade there'd be a treasure chest behind there. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I thinking like this? Why can't I just enjoy nature? Oh, exactly. You don't hike all the way up to a cairn and get disappointed that somebody hasn't given you a quest to top it. Yeah, like because <laughs> the weather has been so awful. There was only one other person that we saw um, on this walk, and um, he he went up before us a little bit of the way, and he was sitting down when we got up to the giant's cave. And I was disappointed he didn't have an exclamation mark above his head. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a piece of heart. In these cold weathers, we need three badger pelts to keep our younglings from succumbing. <laughs> I had a dream last night that I found a little badger farm in the middle of Cardiff. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> As for me, I've played I've played quite a bit actually. It's been it's been a little over a week since we uh, since we last chatted. I did finish I say finish. I, I, I beat the Elite Four in Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and uh, was definitely done with it after that. I mean it's 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 fine. It's just there's so many archaic features in the game because they haven't really modernized it massively it's got all the leftovers of all the things that make the pokemon games really really stale even down to i mean this is like the fourth generation of pokemon and it's still got exactly the same mechanics that that were in the very original one on the game boy like you've got the the big bad guy corporation you've got their base with warp panels in it it's exactly the same there's so many surfing routes with random battles. Like Minty said, whenever we talked about it, we need tall water to manage the flow of, of uh, wild Pokemon battles at sea. Yeah. Uh, you've yeah. Got, like, you've got, like... <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> if only there were tall water. <laughs> 
the endless Victory Road cave system. Like, it's stark contrast to what the name Victory Road conjures up in your head. Like, if, if somebody says to you, Victory Road, you're thinking of Rainbow Road, right? You're thinking of all the colours of the rainbow, fireworks, joyful celebrations, jubilance coming out of every U-turn or whatever. Uh, it's it's colourful, it's vibrant, it's exciting, but no... In reality, Victory Road is just brown with a bit of grey, bats and rocks. It's, oh, it's so boring. It's so boring. Like, you've got the HM's gating areas with needless things like fog and waterfalls. I mean, ride Pokemon are definitely the way forward. They've been doing that for obviously, you know, the last sort of couple of games now. And it's much, much better. Like, I don't know how many of these things were in, ended up being in black and white as well. Generation 5, but... I mean, I seem to remember they started to shake things up a little bit because, you know, four generations of Pokemon games being exactly the same and design choices that were obviously initially in there to help the Game Boy deal with a game that was actually quite big. You don't need them anymore. But Black and White had started to do good stuff with Victory Roads um, because like, they still had um, the HMs and all the rest of it, but mm. they had... Uh, they had new Pokemon, so instead of it just being Victory Road, it now has uh, it now has uh, all the rock, all the little rocks, and all the little bats that you've been fighting in all the other caves throughout the game. Mm. But now they're a bit bigger and a bit stronger. Like mm. in in Victory Road or in Gen Five, you could get the uh, the pseudo legendary. There are a couple of new there was a couple of new birds. Oh yes, an anteater and um and the ant that it eats. Oh yes, heat heat more. Heatmore Heatmore and, and Durant. Durant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So baby steps. But yeah, it wasn't mm. until Ride Pokemon where that, that sort of thing started getting good. Got to the Elite Four, uh, which were actually quite tough. Like, I'm always used to being at a point where I can just one hit every Pokemon, usually with just like one or two members of my team. But this made me have to like actually uh, like back out at one point and rethink my team and my approach, which was, oh, was quite good fun. But I'm absolutely not doing the post-game stuff. I'm I'm absolutely done with the game now. Like especially like a lot of the stuff in the game is mirrored in Arceus, which is really really nice. And it did mean that there were some bits of the game that I enjoyed a lot more than I probably would have done if I hadn't have just played Arceus. But yeah, a lot of the post-game stuff in in Diamond is mirrored in Arceus, like hunting down the the legendaries and and stuff. And I've just done that, so I'm not going to bother doing that. But yeah, it was it was alright. Like it, it it didn't it didn't really feel like a trip down memory lane because I didn't really remember it. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the least memorable generation of Pokemon. It doesn't really seem to have much of an identity at all, which I think is why Arceus is is as successful as it is. And it's probably a good place to start if they're going to revisit other generations with the Legends formula in the future. So yeah, I mean, too long didn't read. Don't bother playing Brilliant Diamond. <laughs> but over on the PS Five. I'm gearing up for Elden Ring, which is coming out in two days' time as of uh, this point of recording. It will have been out now by the time you listen to this. And I had one objective, which was to finish Demon Souls. And I didn't expect myself to actually end up, one, find the time to go back, two, find the resilience to get back into it, and three, have the tenacity to actually finish it off. But I did. I surprised myself a little because I, yeah. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. I girded my grizzly loins quite late in the day. But yeah, checked uh, checked that off my list. And me, me playing actually came out of me playing another game on the PS5, which was Kena, Bridge of Spirits, which is something I've wanted to play for a little while. It looked really nice. I bought it when it was on sale for about 20 quid or something. And I thought it would be nice to take something cute and colourful for a spin before descending into Elden Ring. And it's, it's, it's a nice little game. It looks really nice. There are some nice mechanics in it, but it doesn't do anything drastically different than other third-person action-adventure platformy type games like there are some adorable little things in it there's these creatures in the game that you collect called the rot which are a lot cuter than they sound <laughs> uh, and they are really really cute and you can buy hats for them oh i like hats yeah everybody loves a hat you've got this adorable entourage that grow you know the more you find of them in these little mushroom hats or flower or clover hats or just a plant pot and you can like send them to do things for you if you have the right number of them not too dissimilar to something like pikmin on that front but yeah it, it's nice and lovely but it, it, it just made me crave a, a, just a more substantial third person action adventure experience so i dove back into demon souls to see if i could creep a bit closer to the end and i didn't actually realize how close i was to the end i only had like a couple of bosses to to do and then like the final the final stretch of the game and uh yeah it's 
It, yeah. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Like I, I know the the episodic structure of the game isn't quite as enthralling or engrossing as the more open world approach that they went with uh, Dark Souls, but it did mean it was quite easy to keep track of of where I was and uh, you know what I was meant to be doing. I mean, clearly, Bluepoint did a phenomenal job in rebuilding Demon Souls from scratch with modern visuals, but faithful mechanics. And it is obvious that the Souls series have evolved a lot since this game. Even the first Dark Souls game has some clunky elements in it that were then streamlined by Dark Souls 3. But it wasn't anything that marred my enjoyment of Demon Souls. Uh, it just whetted my appetite thoroughly for Elden Ring. <laughs> I've, I've said before that I felt that every From Software game, they've taken huge leaps forward in terms of mechanics and quality, whether it was uh, the more refined combat in Bloodborne or the, the massively expanded movement mechanics in Sekiro, or, you know, just the more focused and concentrated vision in Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3. And I mean, I just, I, I just can't wait for Elden Ring. I, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm so thrilled that I've managed to avoid so much coverage of the game. So I'm going to have so many surprises in store uh, and I just can't wait to discover everything in there. Like, wife and daughter are away this weekend, so I'm literally going to do nothing else. I'm just going to get fully acquainted with my dark and murky ring. <laughs> <laughs> now that you have finished all of the modern FromSoft games, yes. what is your your generalized ranking of them what you're asking is what games are you going to talk about for the second half of this season Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I assume given the amount you've played over the last couple of years you're not including every single souls like game uh from from that kind of loose series it's i mean it, it's it's tricky because i mean you know yes you can sort of group the dark souls games together because they give you a very similar experience bloodborne perhaps you could lump in with them but it has got its very own it's, it's got you know it's got a distinct uh, identity of its own and sekiro again is like something entirely different there's a lot of food for thought in all of them sekiro is such a polished game it doesn't have the like the online co-op system that all the other games do so it does feel a lot more punishing and a lot more brutal it's the only one you didn't fully finish as well isn't it yeah i, 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 I never did the final boss just couldn't i couldn't do it slacker thanks <laughs> how many have you finished um no <laughs> but it's a nice it's, it's it's such a it's such a like a rewarding experience doing co-op but then it is such a satisfying game to play as a solo experience i'd like to revisit all of them before talking about them they're all top 50 games if not obviously significantly higher stay tuned i will let you know okay what have you played this week chris well because i had my half term week from school it's been a week of like polishing things off and finishing games and i got through a fair amount like a lot of games that i was kind of towards the end anyway that i finally ticked off the list so little nightmares 2 completed that Ooh, well done it finally loaded did it <laughs> it's a really good game and it's much better than the first game i think one because of the much much quicker switch load times mm. <laughs> you know, it's like it's five seconds versus a minute and a half sometimes it's it's night and day but also because it expands the world of little nightmares to encompass just a much larger area because the first game is all set inside one ship and you know the, the game being kind of brought out into the world it makes for some really incredibly creepy set pieces because it can mix up the locales so much more I played the whole thing with Georgia again. One section spooked us so badly that I had to put it down and go for a walk. Uh, and then we came back to it a little bit later, like a good week or so later. And, and another part messed me up enough that I, I turned down playing the game for over a month. Every time Georgia mentioned it, I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to spoil any of the standout bits of the game in the same way that if you talk too much about something like Inside... It destroys a lot of the power that that game has to just discover yourself. But it's really, really good. And it's the type of thing that as soon as the credits rolled, I was immediately looking up deep dives on its lore and, and story meanings oh, nice. and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a highly recommended series, those games, if you've already romped through Inside and Limbo and want something that is in the same vein, but, but different enough. You know, it's definitely got its own flavor and character. The second thing I beat, with my my refreshed PlayStation 3, I beat Lord of the Rings Conquest. Oh, well done. Uh, as I mentioned, I was halfway through and I, I did the other half. I picked up my save again. I played through the Rise of, of Sauron alternate history campaign over the course of like a morning. So it's not a long game. And it is good fun. 
you know, I, I mentioned before, I don't think it quite reaches the heights of the original Star Wars Battlefront games. Because like for me, I'm not a Star Wars person, but I've still got really fond memories of, of the first two games and even the PSP spin-off. But it's it's a good time. And particularly fun in, in Conquest was the final stage that has the objective kill hobbits to lure Gandalf to the battlefield <laughs> or, or something along those lines which just really made me laugh brilliant so you have you have like a big counter that it's like go and murder a hundred hobbits and burn down their village and then Gandalf will hop out and have a little final fight so that's done you know it's like I said I, I was interested going back if it was still enjoyable and, and I think largely it is Georgia finished Lego Lord of the Rings, staying on the same page, oh, well uh, keeping on her. the Middle Earth theme. And I'm including this here, not because I had that much to do with finishing it, but because it represents me breaking her Lego resolve. Because what she normally does when she plays these games, she gets to something like 99.2% completion and then just stops. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I don't finish that many games. I, I know I'm the type of person that jumps between things, but if I was that far progressed through something, I would finish it. Absolutely. <laughs> and and I can't believe, I asked her, I was like, you know, you've only got a couple of those little fetch quests to do and uh, I think a few collectibles. Are you going gonna to do that sometimes? She was like, no, I think I'm done with it. <laughs> and I was like, you're not done with it. Can you please be you're done, done with, with it? it? <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> so, you know, we went back to it. I, I had a guide on my phone. I was kind of pointing in the direction of the last few bits to try and make sure it was done. As with a lot of that era Lego games, there were a few bugs in it and it meant that it was a bit touch and go at the end as to whether 100% was even possible, which was really quite stressful. But with Georgia's steady hand and, and my kind of Google food navigating 10-year-old message boards for workarounds and <laughs> solutions, we, we, di- we did get there. So, you know, it's, it's nice to say that's done. And even if I was only really responsible for maybe a percent of that, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> the last game I'll mention that I finished was Picross NP Volume 1 for the SNES originally. And, you know, we all love Picross. We do. And, and back, when I, back when I was organizing my console, when I got my new 3DS XL last year... I stuffed it with a lot of Picross. <laughs> and and now I, I go through phases of, of, you know, completing a few puzzles just before I go to bed each night. And recently I got stuck back into this, this weird piece of Nintendo esoterica, really, because I was only 10 or 15 tough puzzles away from finishing it completely. As a very quick Nintendo and Jupiter Picross history lesson, we got Mario's Picross in the West on the Game Boy and then Picross 2 on the Game Boy and Super Picross on the SNES were both Japanese exclusives. And then even more exclusive than that were the Picross NP games, which is, this is part of that series. And they were eight titles released by the Japanese arm of Nintendo Power. And th- they were basically early download titles. I think you had to get them like on a cassette recorder or something <laughs> bizarre along those lines. But even after Googling, I'm, I'm a bit fluffy on the details here, I'll be honest. But, you know, the delivery method doesn't really matter. It just matters that they've been, you know, dumped and preserved their ROMs. And by extension, I now have more Picross games to play. <laughs> now, being based on the SNES title, they are wonky because Jupiter wouldn't really refine the series properly until the DS title that everyone bought and loved and then became obsessed with. But once you get used to what they do and don't do in relation to kind of the newer ports and how you navigate a puzzle you're left with hundreds of exclusive puzzles. And and that in itself is, is a lovely little treat. In NP1, there's a whole selection dedicated to Pokemon pictures. There's a whole selection dedicated to Japanese vistas and architecture. And then there was a final brutal selection of puzzles that depict Olympic sports people. And some of the later panels in that are like 25 by 20 monsters. And, and the size coupled with these being the late game puzzles where it's like no hints, no error marking. It means that some of the puzzles would take me like 40 minutes to solve on their own. I was so happy when I finally got through the last one and then a little message popped up in Japanese that I thought was just saying, well done, Chris. <laughs> but instead it translated to have more puzzles. <laughs> so there was a final, final set of 12 grids, which, you know, as I'm sure if I was playing this at the time, it would have felt very generous, but now really filled me with dread because some of those late puzzles had taken me like four or five failures of these like 30 minute efforts to get through. But luckily this final grouping wasn't that tough. So it's done. I feel good about it. And and I'm really happy just to have beaten it because Picross still makes me feel like a brainy boy when, when I get a puzzle right. And, and Georgia, even though she doesn't even know the rules of Picross, she's never expressed any interest because she always looks over and goes, looks like maths to me and, and doesn't care at that point. <laughs> She always seems very happy to give me praise when I tell her how tough a grid was to solve. <laughs> and and I like that. You know, sometimes yeah. just before bed, that, that little pat on the head is just what you need to drift <laughs> off and, and have a good night's sleep. So 
you know, even if sometimes it's, it's done with just a, a little a little hint of sarcasm. Still counts. Still counts. I take it at face value. <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. Quick little note here. It's not going to be a spoiler that Minty's game this week is Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age, because you'll have seen it in the episode title and the artwork. What might be a spoiler is some of the discussion about the game. So if you haven't played Dragon Quest XI, and if you don't want elements of the story spoiled for you, perhaps proceed carefully. If you're not worried about having the story spoiled, then sit back and enjoy probably the best telling of the story that you're going to hear in the wonderful words of Minty Booth. So, should we move on to our amendments? Amend yeah. away. <laughs> Minty, would you like to kick us off with the game that you would like to find a place in your top 100 favourite video games of all time list? I would, yes. Yes, I would. Good. So, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Today's entry has, uh, has made me pause and kind of made me think about every game I've ever played. If you listen back to most of our previous episodes, particularly the first 20 minutes or so when we tell each other what we've been playing, I'm usually playing a fresh new game that I'm blasting through and really loving for a couple of weeks, completing, and then just never touching again. Will I ever go back to them? Can I remember anything that happened in the game? Were the games as good as I proclaimed they were at the time of recording? I think I'm quite susceptible to getting caught up in the hype of new releases. Even even when they're completely forgettable, like I've gotten better about it in general in recent years. Like I don't bother with getting the new fresh craft beer releases on day one anymore. I've not been to a midnight showing of whatever shite Marvel are putting out in years. I might just start waiting until they're on <laughs> Disney Plus. I've never been hyped to play a Dragon Quest game. In fact, I, I, I've only ever played one and a half. I got about halfway through Dragon Quest Six when it came out on the DS. Right up to the point where you have to dress in natty duds to get into a nightclub or something to progress. And uh, I, di- I didn't have any good clothes at that point. And I was like, oh, I just can't be bothered. <laughs> but I did beat Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age. Ooh. I beat it. I completed a video game and enjoyed it so much that I decided to place it on my list. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so well made. Everything about it is just, wow, just so robust and so strong. It's full of. First of all, it's full of great characters. They're so varied. In your party alone, you've got the brash thief who can steal shit in combat and quickly becomes your greatest friend in the story. There's the princess of the king, who's under the control of the antagonist. The magic twins, one precocious, one serene. The short and lecherous mage, who's actually your grandfather. (laughs) And Sylvando, the greatest character in any game ever. A flamboyant and carefree entertainer whose only desire is to bring smiles to the world. A dream not shared by his father, Don Rodrigo, who throughout his childhood trained him rigidly in the knightly virtues. The knightly virtues? Oh, yes, yes. Is that a euphemism? No. She was a woman of knightly Mm. virtues. (laughs) If you played this game, then you would be forgiven for thinking that that was uh, a little euphemism on my part, because just because of who Sylvando is as a character. It's stuffed full of classic RPG action as well. There's turn-based combat, which we love. It's, it's kept fresh with varied enemies and the different abilities of your party members. No random encounters anymore. You can see everybody out in the environment. So gone is just being scared of taking a step here and there and just praying that you don't get attacked by something when you've got like 10 health before you get back to the village. Avoiding the tall water. Yeah, just avoiding the tall water. <laughs> there is no tall water. It's all... It's just... Wall-to-wall puddles, and that's how it should be done. It's lovely seeing all the classic Dragon Quest monsters in not just 3D, but HD too. Who doesn't love the bright and enjoyable designs of Akira Toriyama? Well, not me. I love them. Quests, side quests, rare monsters, towns and caves stuffed to the brim with lore and clues are everywhere. Each new place has a problem or two to solve, and once you do solve the problems, the efforts of your actions are seen from that point on, which I appreciate. In the classic ice region, there's a little town called uh, Sniffleheim, mm-hmm. where everybody is frozen. Once you break the curse of the Ice Queen or whatever, everybody thaws, and that once eerie and quiet town becomes bustling once more. Something I really like about uh, Dragon Quest XI is how it fakes you out with endings. For the first part of the game, you're on the trail of Mordegon, classic evil wizard who's uh, who's possessed the princess's father and is driving him to be antagonistic. Um, he wants to use the power of uh, of the Luminary, who is the main character, 
and the world tree, Yggdrasil, to rule the world. It's simple stuff. The big bad uses big power to do big bad things. During this time, a mysterious being summons something called Erdwin's Lantern, which is a big old orb in the sky that's thought to be the spirit of the original Luminary, watching over the world and protecting it from evil. Mordigan destroys it as you're searching for the materials to make a sweet-ass sword to replace the one that he stole from you during your first encounter at Yggdrasil. So you go back there, you defeat him, the credits roll, and you're, you're happy that you saved the world, but a little sad at the same time because one of your party gave their life for an emotional story beat. <laughs> Sorry, saving their friends <laughs> from Mordagon. The game then lights up again once, uh, once the credits roll to the rest of your party discovering that they can bring her back to life. Not, not bring her back to life, but um, stop her from dying in the first place by using that old chestnut time travel oh going you back love in to time and using their knowledge of the present to prevent her death at the showdown at yggdrasil so you do that you don't let mordagon get the drop on you you defeat him in the past and you save your friend but you remember earlier how in the uh, in the present day timeline mordagon destroyed erdwin's lantern well he's not around to destroy it in this timeline now that you've killed him in a different way which unleashes the true antagonist of the game. That's right, it was a prison for the real world-ending threat all along. Why, I say to myself, why do we try to play God? Now we've got to kill this ancient evil. But we've got the Luminary on our side, the one whose power can destroy this being, Kalasmos, once and for all. And we do, and that's basically three stories in one game tied nice and neatly up with a bow. Dragon Quest XI is... Uh, it's stew. It's soup. It's an enormous <laughs> bowl of well-sourced pasta. It's an unfashionable joint of meat roasted to the point where it falls apart with tenderness. It's an afternoon spent in the kitchen working on something that's rich, nourishing and filling. It warms you to the core and leaves a mark on you that's hard to get rid of. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's up there with the best, with the classic greatest games of all time, like your Ocarina of Time, your Dark Souls, all that sort of thing. And for that reason, I'm going to put it at number 15. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Bish bash bosh, straight in the list. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be slotted in there. And like those those 2P machines at the seaside on the pier, it's going to tumble <laughs> down and it's going to create a, a big old chain reaction that's just going to push something a little lower out of the list. So we're going to get rid of number 91, which is uh, Afterbirth Plus. Oh, fair oh, enough. Oh, bin it off. Bin it off. You've already got Isaac Afterbirth in there. Afterbirth Plus shouldn't fine. have been in there in the first place. At the time, it was the, it, it was the, it was the latest version of Isaac. It was different enough to the original that I felt it could justify it. But no, it just wasn't as good as The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. And I'm sorry to say it. And I'm sorry to say that I put it in there. But now it's gone, and I feel a lot better. We forgive yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> so the time has come. For me to talk about Hades. Oh, hello. Hades. <laughs> Hades. Much like you said last week, Chris, I <laughs> have been trying to structure this season towards something of a crescendo, but then there are these fuzzy mid-list games that sort of have a swing of like 40 or so places, uh, depending on how they measure up when I really stop to assess them and uh, consider their value to me and thus their, their place in the list and Hades is, is one that I've, I've sort of put off talking about for a few weeks because I wanted to find the time to revisit it properly before designating it a home in my list. It was never a doubt that it would be in my list. It is a phenomenally polished game with a brilliant roguelike structure, incredibly tight action mechanics and a story that is just so beautifully told in a way that I, I haven't seen before in a game. It was always going to rank in my list, but I've had so many thoughts about the game and particularly the roguelike and roguelite genres in the last few weeks. Apparently, the thing that differentiates those two genres, the like and the light of the rogue, is down to a level of overall progression that you have in the game. A roguelike, something like Binding of Isaac, where every run you start from scratch, even if you are like 2,000 hours deep. A roguelite is something like Hades or Children of Morta or Returnal, or Undermine, where your character can grow and develop and carry perks across runs to give you a sense of overall achievement with every run you do. Oh. And it's this element of the game where Hades really shines, and it's less about the abilities or perks that you unlock to make your character stronger or make your runs easier, 
But it's the overall story of the game that Supergiant drip feeds you between runs and during runs that makes you want to do another run. Not just to try and get further, but also to die and to come back to the halls of hell to see what new bits of story or lore you can unlock to find out more about this just extraordinary suite of characters. So a little bit about the overall way the story of the game is presented. Hades is set in the world of Greek myth and legend. You play as Zagreus, who is the son of Hades, and your intention is to escape the underworld and reach Mount Olympus. Every time you die, you return to the house of your father to commune with the other inhabitants in this world, develop your skills, and embark on another escape attempt. And your escape attempts are aided by a variety of Olympians who bestow their boons upon you. And uh, this is how you develop your build every run. So you might get a visit from Zeus, and his boon may allow you to add lightning to your attacks or your dashes. Or you might get something from Poseidon that gives you some sort of like pushback wave effect. But each visitation from one of these gods will, will always bring with it a, a few lines of dialogue between them and Zagreus. And it's not in the way that you would usually expect in a game, where it will cycle through the same short selection of greetings and pithy remarks. Every single time it's different and pushes their relationship further in whatever direction it's going. You fight through four main biomes on your escapes. You've got like the deep abyss of Tartarus, the flaming pits of Asphodel, the idyllic fields of Elysium, and then the Temple of Styx. And each of these have a fantastic sense of style to them. They all feel markedly different and have vastly different enemies and enemy types in them. And the bosses of each of the biomes are also not just a boss you twat out. They are also characters who have arcs that develop with Zagreus. And there are also permanent inhabitants in these biomes you can run into them and they will also maybe try and help you with your escape and they're all incredibly rich detailed layered characters in all of their variety and all of their oddities one of the brilliant things the game does with the story is acknowledge that you're doing these runs because it's set in the underworld if you die, you go back to where you started, and the conversations you have with all of the characters acknowledge that you're trying to escape again, or you've killed them before, or you've lost to them before. And it means that this world feels so unbelievably real and organic. Like, I'm so used to in games, particularly RPGs, exhausting dialogue options. That's like, it's a common term. Like, oh, okay, exhaust their dialogue options and then move on. And when you realise that this approach just isn't doable in Hades, it makes you look at every character and every interaction in just a very different way. And in fact, like, I guess quite a special way. So like when you're in the house of Hades, where your runs start, the people who are hanging out there, they'll always sort of chop and change and they'll be hanging out with different people or hanging out in different areas and having a conversation with somebody else about something else and blah, blah, blah. And it always feels interesting or exciting to interact with who's there. Like you may not have seen... Narcissus hanging out there before, or one of the Furies that you defeated in the last run is grabbing a drink. What do they have to say? <laughs> what are they drinking? Exactly. What are they drinking? What are they selling? <laughs> what are they buying? <laughs> and, you know, you'll, you'll run into every single character that you may have ever heard of in Greek myth and legend. Orpheus, Eurydice, Cerberus, Theseus, Asterius, Persephone, Chiron, Megaera, Achilles, Sisyphus, Nyx, Hermes, Chaos, Demeter, just like absolutely everyone. And all of the dialogue, all of these characters is all fully voice acted, and the character design is just so, so good. When when you see their portrait, it might not be animated, but like the, just the design in them and the, 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 the depth of character that comes with the voice acting and the brilliance of the writing just brings every character to life. It's a bounty. It's an absolute bounty. But when you finally manage to escape, it doesn't end there. And I won't ruin the story, but there are characters on the other side of an escape that you can only develop their story by achieving more successful escapes. And that alone is enough to make you want to do more runs, but the game also caters for making your runs more interesting beyond this point to give you, you know, proper reasons to keep playing. And after you've made one escape, the game introduces uh, a, a mechanic called the Pact of Punishment, which basically means you can customise your runs to make them harder with different options. And this will yield greater rewards and allow you to get the rarer collectibles that you need to upgrade certain things even further. 
And it it's just a game that is just so perfectly balanced. I mean, particularly just in terms of its structure, like even down to the weapons you unlock to fight with. Each one you can pick a weapon from a selection of about I don't know six or seven, and it's it's uh, it, it's that that gives you the same sort of variety as you would in say the Binding of Isaac, picking a different character. You you play very differently with with each of the weapons, so you've got a nice bit of variety there, just from the start. But there is, you know, there's nothing stopping you from finding your favourite one of these and just sticking with that. But before every run, one of the weapons will be selected to give you a certain bonus, uh, which encourages you to then keep changing the weapon you're using and, you know, what you're fighting with. And then, of course, that will all change depending on what boons you get in a run, how they combine with other boons, what synergies you find. But also the game gives you a, a lot of control over how you're structuring your particular run. In that, like, when you clear a room, uh, there'll often be more than one exit point from the room. And above the exit doors, you'll see what type of reward will be waiting for you if you clear the next room. It might be an icon of a certain god, so you know you're going to get their boon. It might be a shop symbol, so you can go and visit Kron and buy some stuff. It might be just a particular reward type, like it might say, or you might get more coins, or might get more of whatever sort of currency, or, or anything else. So it means that like, if you're trying to target a certain build or achieve a specific combination of boons, you can try and direct your path down that route. Or if you're just trying to accrue currency to help you reach upgrades at the end of a run, you can target that. It's all ways that the game rewards you for just playing it and learning more and more about the intricacies of its systems. But the game is also established in a way that you can enjoy it with no knowledge of it because, and I will of course always come back to this point, the gameplay is where the crux of this game lies, as it should be with games. All of these incredible systems and character arcs and epic stories and everything would count for very, very little if the game didn't feel good to play, especially as a roguelike. You know, the base game needs to feel fine as fuck to play, otherwise you won't <laughs> want to make dozens upon dozens upon hundreds of runs. And the game does feel incredible. Like, at its heart, it's building on a lot of games that came before it in the isometric hack and slash genre, things like Diablo and obviously Supergiant's own like Bastion. So it's, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it is making sure it's perfectly round. <laughs> I, I must say, I was really surprised that the Switch ran it as well as it did. I was expecting it to be capped at 30 frames per second, uh, just, you know, just as a, as a flat rule. So yeah, we'll put it on the Switch, but it's, it's obviously not going to run 60 frames per second, but it does. It's incredibly smooth. And uh, sure, it's, you know, fixed isometric art style isn't the most demanding, but there's always a ton of stuff going on and it moves very fast and you'll barely notice a frame dropped in amongst everything, especially as there's, you know, there's a bit of a hint of like impact delay on some of the combat. So that's always quite a nice way of disguising any small drops that may happen. But it, it's it's such a relief because the game needs to have that precision to play because the game is pretty tough and requires precision on your part to make the most out of it. I think I spoke about this when I was talking about Returnal in that games like that and Hades require your skills and your knowledge of the game to beat it rather than chancing out on a really lucky overpowered build like you may get in something like Binding of Isaac. Yeah, And that means that it can sometimes be a bit daunting to go back into a run after run after run if you haven't unlocked a significant upgrade because you know that you're likely to come unstuck at the same part of the run as you did before. But you will slowly and surely make progress learning the attack patterns of the enemies and the bosses and getting used to the different weapons and learning how to maximise the potential of the boons you get. Like I, I was surprised that when I dived back into it this week to refresh my memory, I'd remembered as much as I did. It didn't take me, I don't know, it took me maybe two runs to get my head around what my overall strategy was, but like my muscle memory for the combat was, was pretty good and I remember the boss attack patterns pretty well. And yeah, I mean, I can see it staying open on my Switch for a while again now and just getting back into it afresh, which means it's quite tricky to place in my list because I feel like it's on the cusp of having a second wind that will almost certainly elevate it quite a few places. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's true that it hasn't had the longevity of Binding of Isaac and it hasn't had the same pull to me that that game did. And it didn't quite hit the same chord as Dead Cells uh, with me that, that made that game just unbearably fun to play. But objectively, I can't argue that either of those games are necessarily better than Hades because it is just so tight you can tell that it's a game that spent a lot of time in development and in beta testing because uh, it's just like clearly been tested within an inch of its life and it's it's unlikely to get swathes of DLC or patching to balance the game out or anything because it is just such a solid, solid, complete game. 
But these lists are about our favourite games rather than anything objective. And it's why Hades is making my list rather than Children of Mortar, which is a similar roguelite setup, albeit, you know, one that actually came before Hades. But, and I mean, Children of Mortar is still a brilliant game. It's got this brilliant emotional overarching story in the same way that something like Hades does, but it just didn't quite have the immediacy and clarity in its combat that Hades has. Although I've just like I think it's literally in the last week they've they've announced like online co-op for Children of Mortar. So if anyone fancies teaming up with me to try and finally beat that game, uh, let me know. But <laughs> Hades is great and I loved it. But at this point, I don't love it as much as several other games. And so I think it's probably going to go around about number forty-ish in the forties, alongside things like Sea of Thieves and other brilliant games that are sort of there. But if this second wind with the game does take me, I mean, there's still so much of the story that I don't know because I've only done three successful escapes. I haven't really played with the Pact of Punishment. Like somebody was talking about it the other day I was chatting with and they mentioned a mechanic that I had no idea about and they're on their like 90th odd run of the game. <laughs> and it's like, gotta get back so in much it. more in the game. Gotta keep I'm going to have to get back into it. I'm going to have to. So it could end up even, you know, with this this final reappraisal that I've been, I've been threatening over my list, uh, which will almost certainly happen at the end of the season. It yeah. will happen. Yeah. It's, 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 it's there with a soft pin at the moment. <laughs> but what's leaving? I think a common theme with the games that are heading out of my list is if another game that's also in my list gives me a similar feeling or a similar experience, but it's better. So for that reason... Harvest Moon is leaving my list because even though I've got such incredibly fond memories of that as a kid, uh, I remember watching you play it, Chris, yeah. on your Game Boy Color, me really wanting it, me getting it, me getting a Game Boy Color, loving it, loving that game. Stardew Valley whips its fucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> so goodbye, Harvest Moon. Hello, Hades. Lovely stuff. Chris, when you finish this episode off with your amendment. Oh. <laughs> I've I've really dreaded this week since we put together our plans for this half season. Brilliant. <laughs> Be, because it's uh, it's Ocarina of Time. Hey, and, oh, that's a game. Uh, and 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 I don't. It's really hard to talk about because I I didn't know how to do justice to a game of this lineage first. Like, is there anything worth saying about a game of this mm-hmm. age and this stature? And also a game that between the two of you and your list, we've probably already talked about for 45 minutes of your (laughs) monologues. (laughs) You know, you've said a lot about it and everyone loves it. So how do I make my words carry any credence whatsoever, given that I've not even finished the fucking thing? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, and feel free to step in at any stage and say, you can't do that if you wish, but I'll do it anyway. (laughs) I'm going to talk about why everyone should at least go out and buy a 3DS and everyone should play an hour or two of Ocarina of Time in 3D. The 3DS is a brilliant, brilliant machine. Yes, it is. Quite apart from being able to play thousands of regular DS games, providing they don't need a GBA slot peripheral like Guitar Hero on tour, the the 3DS library on its own is very, very strong in and of itself. And we got new entries in franchises like Fire Emblem, Luigi's Mansion. We got a great Mario game. We got a great Mario Kart game. We got greatest hits packages for for WarriorWare and Rhythm Heaven. We got about 100 console-exclusive RPGs like Bravely Default and Shin Megami Tensei games and its adjacent spin-offs. There was all the Etrian Odyssey dungeon crawlers. Like, you name it, there's a game for you on the 3DS. It also had a small selection of ports from other hardware that in almost every case made the 3DS its new and natural home. So Dragon Quest VIII and Tales of the Abyss both made their way from the PS2 and despite the console outstripping the 3DS for power, the internet consensus seems to agree that the handheld was probably the best way to play those games these days. Resident Evil Mercenaries, the arcade oh, yeah. mode that I think started in, in Resi 3 or 4 maybe, it had a fully-fledged expanded port that somehow didn't look that much worse than Resident Evil 5 that it <laughs> launched alongside. And and it's still just about the only Resident Evil game I've actually put more than an hour or two into because A, it, it launched when the console was starved of, of new games, so I picked it up. B, it fit really nicely as a pick up and play thing because it was just an arcade game. And C, not that scary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so I was fine with that. You can even play Metal Gear Solid 3 oh on the God, 3DS yeah. in, a, in a bespoke port that, that it may run a little bit slowly when you play it in stereoscopic 3D, but it made up for it by implementing just insane meta jokes, like taking away the stereoscopy when Snake loses an eye oh, in the that's game. Brilliant. But 
only when you view the action in first person. Oh. <laughs> so when it's in third person, oh, you get the full incredible. view. And then when you zoom into first first person, it just that cuts is, one out. That's, it's amazing. That's brilliant. I had no idea it did that. There's also there's the small and what well, there's a small and not insignificant trio of N64 conversions. So we got Star Fox 64, which is now de facto the best way to experience that rail shooter, and the Zelda duology of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask 3D. Now. I was always a, a 3DS stan, as the kids say these <laughs> days. And so I, I diligently bought all these games, but I was never a Zelda stan, as has been very obvious over the course of this podcast. And when I first received Ocarina, I played roughly until the first time you venture into Hyrule Field, and then I just put it down. And and that was the same place I got to when I had it on the N64, on my gold cartridge back then. And unbelievably i'm sure for you two majora's mask 3d is still sealed in the cupboard to this day i've i've never even cracked it open but i did start playing ocarina of time earnestly and properly because of this podcast and i knew you both loved it and i knew everyone else in the world loved it and back in i guess it was about december and january of 2020 and 2021 like the during the earliest rumbles of the pandemic i was getting the train pretty much every day up and down from london to visit mum in hospital and I figured I would commit these two-hour chunks traveling to the little handheld. And I did, to my extremely limited credit, you know, I'm, I'm not asking for a, a real pat on the back here. <laughs> I progressed further than I ever had in the game. And I think I beat the Forest Temple. So maybe, is that what, about halfway through the game, maybe? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Or not? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. So give, give, give me something. Yeah. What I love about this game, and what I love about the, the part of the game I played, at least, because I'm like I said, I'm not going to pretend I beat it. If we ignore the gamey part of the game for a minute and just imagine Hyrule in this truncated N64 iteration, if it was a setting for a walking simulator, with the 3D slider all the way up, I think Ocarina of Time may present one of the realest feeling locations I've ever just wandered about. And I find it absolutely mad that it manages to do this, despite being, as I mentioned, pretty diminutive in terms of actual square footage. Like wondering about any area, you're never that far from a visible wall or an invisible stopper that acts as a wall. <laughs> and and yet the depth that was applied to this third person invention makes the whole thing feel just immeasurably expansive. And in the same way that if you stick on a VR helmet, it's not that hard to be immersed by quite small spaces because no matter which way you look, your view is always taken up by the space the developer has rendered for you. Ocarina of Time somehow manages to make me feel a similar sense of being even when I'm sat on a busy commuter train, viewing the action on a screen that's, what, three and a half inches across? <laughs> you know, th th there's so much potential for distraction just outside of those bezels. And I felt so absorbed in that place that it, it blows my mind. It really does. We've all mentioned, and, and I've lamented time and time again, that gaming losing glasses free 3D, probably forever, makes me very sad. Yeah. And of all the examples I'd use to try and sell this technology, Ocarina of Time, and by natural lineage, the bananas port of Xenoblade Chronicles are the yeah. games that best deliver on what glasses or headset-free 3D can really offer because it just makes a little place seem that much more real. Like, it's, it's such a small trick, but it really does twig something in your brain to just feel like a place. And whether that's in the fixed cameras of Link's Little House in Kakiri Forest or the streets of Hyrule Castle Town or the more open vistas of Hyrule Field or, or Gerudo Valley, there's just a presence to it all. And, you know, even with the boost in texture quality that the polygon models got in the 3DS port, it's still hardly a technically advanced game visually. And yet, if you whack the depth slider up, you're there. You're, you're right there. I do really want to finish this game, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I do. But I've, I've articulated this in a way before that there is a weight of expectation to it, similar to the Metroid series, that I find it quite difficult to push through. And, you know... As something in contrast, I felt quite buoyant by the number of people who barely made it off the Great Plains in Breath of the Wild because it felt like it gave me a pass to just spend however many hours I wanted to play just fucking around and finding <laughs> out, <laughs> you know, just digging about this massive place. And instead of chasing down the big bads or really accomplishing anything, I could just enjoy it for what it was to me. But because Ocarina isn't as expansive or that long, or to be honest, that difficult <laughs> you know, it means i i don't have that same excuse and and i really should finish it and and knowing that i haven't it does sit kind of sorely with me mm -hmm. but again it's it's all about how you perceive things and for me i'll finish a game like big bobby car <laughs> because no one cares if i finish it yeah and no one cares if i start it if we're being totally <laughs> fair but 
everyone who has a passing interest in games has an opinion on a series like Zelda and they have an opinion on others' opinions of Zelda. And and I think that's the thing that scares me because I don't want to get Ocarina of Time wrong in the eyes of the faithful. <laughs> you know, the, the, I don't want to get to the end and go, yeah, I didn't didn't really care for the story, actually. I didn't really like that bit or the big boss or whatever. And and that's that that's what worries me, that I'm going to get through it and, it and just kind of be kind of so-so and shrug my shoulders. You know, this week, me and Georgia have watched Squid Game on Netflix, and I really enjoyed it. But I'm incredibly glad I didn't watch it at the height of its hype, because the bar at that stage for something's quality just isn't set fairly when everyone is talking about Mm. it. And annoyingly, Ocarina of Time, for being such a milestone gaming release, there's never ever going to be a time when it's not being (laughs) talked about. And, And therefore, that elusive bar, at least in my own head, is just permanently fucked. Like, there will never be a point where I can say, this is my opinion on this thing. Because it only takes loading Twitter once and you'll see something about Zelda or Ocarina of Time pretty much daily. Yeah. Like it's it's everywhere. So I will say though, wherever Ocarina is going to go into the list today, I very much reserve the right to move it about again if I do pick it up at, you know, and finish it in the next 10 weeks or so. So, you know, it's in, it's it's fluid in placement, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> so taking a game out, what's going to leave? I am going to boot out Sid Meier's Pirates today. Uh, uh. It is a great soft strategy game, but it's one that I haven't played again on any format Mm. in any capacity since we made these lists. And it's currently sat at number 71, I think. And and give or take the odd game, I've revisited pretty much everything up to that point. You know, I've I've played games like Burning Rangers and Fighters Megamix on the Saturn when I set up the emulation station. I played mobile games like Super Hexagon and Desert Golfing when I got my new phone a year or so ago. Even Excite Truck got wheeled (laughs) out for an afternoon last time I pulled the Wii U out of the cupboard. But Pirates, for as much as I remember enjoying it, it just hasn't pulled me back. You know, originally I played it on the PSP. I think I have a copy on my old Xbox. I could play it on Steam. Like I've got it places if I wanted to and I just, I haven't bothered. So it's going to come out for now. I'm going to put Ocarina at the moment in the late 60s and that will put it somewhere between Proteus currently at 71 and Eco, which is currently at 67. And that's because for me, Ocarina of Time manages to be a better walking simulator than Proteus (laughs) by nature of how real things feel in stereoscopic 3D. But Eco still takes some of the exploration and adventure that Ocarina of Time managed to codify essentially in the N64. But it does offer for me like a a true next-gen step because of the PS2 just being much more powerful. So somewhere in between there. And like I said, it could end up higher. It could end up uh, much, much higher. You never know. (laughs) But for now, it's here on me, the the non-Zelda fans list. And I think that in itself, that's that's kind of worth celebrating. Uh, it's, It's got a place and I know it deserves it. I just don't know if I'll ever really get the the boost to get to the end. I really hope you do because I mean I yeah. I love I love hearing you get very philosophical about all kinds of aspects of games that will just totally not occur to me or probably anyone else. <laughs> but more than I want you to finish Ocarina of Time, I want you to play Majora's Mask because yeah. like that game is a masterclass in subversion and I I really want to know your perspective on it and hear what what your your thoughts are on it because it's such an absolute masterpiece so yeah i i'll be i'll always be rooting for you to uh to, to finish ocarina <laughs> of time and to start majora's mask and but you are right the best place to play them is on the 3ds in those in those forms they are yeah incredible even though majora's mask has got i think it's got a release date now for coming onto the nintendo switch online expansion pass library it would have been out last friday yeah, yeah. by the time you're watching this i well there you piss and go play it on the 3ds so there we go those are our three amendments as we hit the halfway point in this series of amendments first of all we had dragon quest 11 echoes of an elusive age and then we had hades before finally <laughs> ocarina of time 3d very very good if you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do chat to us on social media at o3c games on pretty much everything don't forget to get your entries in for our 12 game steam bundle giveaway uh, we'll be revealing the winner of that in the next couple of weeks so get your entries in stay tuned uh, you'll be in for a treat if you want to get even more involved in what we're doing, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash o3cgames. There's links to it on our website as well, o3c.games. If you head over to our Patreon page, you can see all manner of perks that are available for a variety of pledging tiers. Most 
chief of them is access to the Discord server, which we have, which is just a fantastic place to chat with us, uh, chat with the other Patreons and some of our uh, special guests from seasons past about what we're playing, uh, what you're playing, uh, just thoughts, opinions. It's uh, it's brilliant. A few quid a month on Patreon. We very, very much appreciate it. And uh, I mean, you also get like loads of bonus episodes, loads of deleted scenes, outtakes, loads of stuff. It's great. So do please check that out. Or, or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am still at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boom. And please do join us next week when we will be amending our lists even further. Even further. God, it'll be um, amendments number 11. Echoes of an elusive <laughs> amendment. <laughs> Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Why do you have such a problem making Boomerang shaped like a bat? You mean like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me, Bruce Wayne. I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. (laughs) Dennis... Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair at the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Coming soon to HyperX.com, HP.com and more fine retailers, the HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. The dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X spatial audio provide reduced distortion, allowing you to hear audio cues with pinpoint precision. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, no wires, the new HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless.